to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. such a pleasure to be with all of you today in this beautiful city, in this beautiful church. We got in, I got in yesterday from Seattle and just um, give me a little bit of grace today if there's, I'm a little jet lagged, but um, I don't know if you're like me, but I love to celebrate. You give me any occasion, birthdays, anniversaries, any holiday. I grew up in a home where um, there was a lot of domestic violence. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of abuse. So we didn't celebrate much. We didn't invite a lot of people into our home because you never knew when things would get bad. So when God blessed me with this man right here in the front row, and yes, I did try to convert him at a conference. But when God blessed me with this amazing husband and then four beautiful children, I wanted our home to be open and full of joy, so much overflowing love and joy that people would be drawn into our our family. So we celebrate everything in our home. And uh, our absolute favorite holiday is Christmas. We go all out for Christmas. There's so many lights in our house. We've got all kinds of decorations. We buy tons of gifts. And Christmas Day, we usually um, open up our home to anybody that doesn't have a place to go that day. So we have um, a lot of people in our home usually on Christmas Day. But Christmas also heralds the coming of Jesus. And his coming ushers in a season of peace and love and joy. People seem to smile a little bit more, hug a little harder. And Jesus is coming. Christmas is around the corner. City Church, are we ready for his coming? John 1, 9 through 11 tells us, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world And the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. I often wonder, if Jesus were to come into my life today, would I recognize him? For the past 25 years, I have worked with those people who we call the poor, the marginalized, and the least of these. I've worked with orphans in Romania, children of lepers, AIDS patients, women and girls ravaged by the evils of human trafficking in India, my, own, my home country. What strikes me time and time again is that Jesus does come into our world every single day, and we do not recognize him. In 2001, our family moved to India Moving to a developing country where you don't know hardly anybody can be difficult. My family all emigrated to the United States, but even more so with four young children. Our youngest had her first birthday on the airplane. Our oldest was six. Shortly after we moved to India, 9-11 happened, and we watched with horror as the Twin Towers in the New York City fell down. But the first people who came to our door with condolences were our Muslim friends. 
we found over the next two years that God had gone before us and prepared a community for us in Bangalore. It was there that we learned to live for Jesus as a family. Through a series of circumstances, Jesus brought a group of six young men into our lives, all teenagers. They were without a home, and we allowed them to live in Tim's office, although we didn't tell his home. <laughs> we didn't tell anybody about that, and we put them through college. In exchange, they worked for us and for the office. Each night, they ate dinner with us at our table, and we started a small Bible study that grew to include all of their friends, our Muslim dry cleaner, and our Hindu security guard. That first Christmas we spent in India, it was rather lonely. We were separated from family, the weather was hot and muggy, and we could only find artificial Christmas trees. I also couldn't find a manger set with a brown Jesus. <laughs> I was like, I'm in India, why can't I find? They all were white Jesuses. <laughs> And uh, that Christmas, we were reading through Luke for our family devotions, and I stumbled on a verse that absolutely blew me away. You know how you read through scripture and you, you see a scripture over and over, but at some time in your life when you need it, God will illuminate it. And Luke 14, 12 through 14 says this, Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not, do not, Invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Because if you do, they might invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, here's, listen to this list. When you give a ban banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So we discussed this as a family and thought about the birthday party of Jesus that we were going to celebrate. And our kids said, but mom, when we give a banquet, that's who we invite. We invite our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters. And I said, well, according to this verse, who should we invite? So in our neighborhood, there would be lepers who would come to our door and beg. And every morning when I'd get up at 5 in the morning to go for a walk, um, there would be young people, little children that lived in these blue tarp tents. They were the kids of itinerant construction workers, and especially the little girls. They would wake up at five to go take care of their bodily needs. Um, there were no bathrooms, so they would have to find a place to take care of their bodily needs, and especially women and children had to do that before the men woke up. So we invited them. We invited those lepers. We invited the rickshaw drivers down the street. And we ordered food for 75 people, chicken, curry, and rice, which, by the way, is what I had for breakfast this morning. I was so excited to see it on the buffet. You can take a girl out of India, but you can't take the India out of the girl, right? <laughs> um, and our kids said, let's take our um, money that we would buy toys with and let's buy toys for those kids. So they bought little small toys, little Hot Wheels, you guys know what those are, and little Barbie dolls. And these boys that lived with us, they said, Auntie, don't be discouraged because I don't think anybody's gonna come. And I said, well, 
All we can do is invite. And sure enough, that morning we did it at a church, a local church. There was a few people that trickled in. And we fed them on banana leaves like we do. And people eat with their hands. It's very um, environmentally friendly. (laughs) And the kids went around and served the food, seconds, thirds, whatever people could eat, chicken curry and rice. And I would walk around and talk to them in Tamil, which is my language. And many of them spoke my language. And they would say to me, they would see Tim, and he'd say, why are you a wealthy woman who's married to a white man? Why would you spend time with us? Because most of them were from the untouchable cast. And I said, you know, when we're going to get ready to celebrate the birth of our God, his name is Jesus. And when he was here on this earth, you were his favorites. You're the ones he hung out with. He didn't hang out with the rich and mighty. He hung out with those. And he came as one of you, as a carpenter. And some of them would actually start tearing up because they'd never heard that before. And what we found out was that what not only was it the kid's first toy, but a lot of the parents had never had a toy before. And so the dads would be zooming those Hot Wheels back and forth, and the, and the moms would be taking the clothes on and off those Barbie dolls and braiding their hair. But you know, at the end of the day, when we counted the number of cups, we found that the food that we had ordered for 75 had fed 140 people. True miracle. And so, you know, um, sometimes when we do ordinary things, our God, he blesses it. So when God called us back to India three years later, we were pleasantly surprised because these young men quit their jobs and came back to live with us. And they brought more, more other young, uh, young men to live with us. And all of them had found their sweethearts, all except one, I think, at that time. So we uh, ended up throwing small weddings for all of them. And then this last time we lived there in 2016, we have grandchildren. So after Singapore, we're going to India for four days. So I'll get to be surrounded by my grandchildren. I can't wait. You see, sometimes Jesus, our Savior, He comes to us as a child covered in mud and living in a blue tarp tent. City Church, are you ready to welcome him this Christmas? As I've taken on the leadership of World Relief, I have again been reminded that living for Christ is not a joy ride where you can engage the cruise control. It's a minute-by-minute reliance on the one whom we've given control of our lives. I used to believe that living for Jesus meant following a set of rules. You know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. Heard all of that when I was growing up. There was a clear delineation in my mind between those who knew Jesus and those who did not. Those were in and those who were out. My theology was black and white with no room for gray. I thought it was more important to be right than to live right. Jesus said something so powerful in Matthew 25, 35 to 40. And I want you to hear this, especially you young people, as you're starting your lives. I want, this isn't in my sermon, but I just want to encourage you. I just love young people. And I really want to encourage you guys to give your strength years to the Lord. 
because those strength years, they go by so fast. And then you're, you know, at a place like where I am, where I'm in my home going years, our kids are raised, they're out of the home. And the way God used me in my strength years is very different than the way he uses me now. Still beautiful, but those strength years, give them to the Lord and see what he does with you. Um, in Matthew 25, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then, of course, the righteous say, Lord, when did we see you like this? When did we do this for you? And he says, truly, I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these, who are members of my family, you did it to me. Here, Jesus was not defining association with him according to what side of a social or political issue you were on or what set of moral rules you follow. He defines his people as those who take care of him by taking care of those closest to his heart. I remember a Christmas when I was acutely reminded of this. While we were dating, Tim and I um, started attending an African-American church in the urban center of Seattle called Rainier Valley. A lot of people, when we decided to move in there, including our parent, my parents, were very upset. They were like, why are you moving into the highest crime area in, in Seattle? But we really wanted to go. We said, if Jesus were living in this city, where would he live? And that's where we felt we needed to be. Um, for many years, we were the youth group leaders at that church. And over the years, we had to bury three of our kids in our youth group from gang violence or suicide. One year, I remember there were 12 young men of color killed, 12 in one year in our neighborhood due to a variety of reasons, but mainly gang violence. The kids in our youth group were devastated. They knew many of those kids that were killed and one of the girls in our youth group was dating one of the boys that died. So on my daily walks, I would walk up and down Martin Luther King Jr., which was the main drag, and I would fight with Jesus for his peace to come and descend on that neighborhood, for his grace to be shed on every person I passed. And I would fight with Jesus. Yes, you can fight with Jesus. He can take it. And I would say, why, God, doesn't anybody care when your sons of color are killed? So these walks would get, go, and one day as I was praying, I heard a still small voice tell me to be silent. It was getting close to Christmas, and as a youth leader, um, you're always trying to think of ways to get your kids engaged. How can we get kids to be attracted to Jesus instead of the gangs? But on that walk, walk I heard the Spirit say something so powerful. It said, Chitra, get me out of the church. The people who need me often aren't inside, and they may never enter your church. You need to go out to them. And right then, an idea dropped into my heart, and I shared it with the church leadership and the youth. And we decided to do a live nativity outside on the sidewalk, not inside our church. There's an abandoned parking lot right next door to our church. And so the youth built a huge manger out of scrap wood and a, and a cradle for the baby Jesus. 
And we found costumes at a secondhand shop called Goodwill, and our preschoolers doubled as little angels. When Jesus was born, they came out and did a hip-hop dance. <laughs> we strung a star outfitted with lights, with tons of lights, and we put it, I wanted it on a pulley system. I used to be a drama major undergrad, so I had this vision. And from one telephone pole to the other, we, these guys strung it with a pulley, so we would pull it and the star would move down the sidewalk, and the wise men and women followed it. <laughs> and um, Mary and Joseph would go down, we really, I really wanted a donkey for Mary and Joseph to ride on. That was in my vision. They were riding a donkey. But we couldn't find a donkey there in the inner city. But I found the next best thing. In the United States, they have these companies that bring party ponies out to your house. So I called all the party pony companies and pleaded with them. It's very expensive. And I told them what we were trying to do. And one guy said, OK, we'll donate a party pony. So Mary rode down the sidewalk on a party pony carrying Jesus. And Jesus was played by a three-month-old baby in our congregation who was half Asian and half African American. The night of the performance, something beautiful happened. A light rain fell as a blessing on us. We ran that play four times with hot cider and donuts being served by the youth outside. We almost had a few accidents because people would just slam on their brakes when they rode past. And they would stop their cars. They'd get out. And guys on the corner that I knew were selling drugs, they would walk down. And they stood and they watched as peace and joy descended into our neighborhood. You see, those guys, they would have never come into our church, but they came and watched that play. You see, Jesus, our Christ, sometimes he lives on the sidewalks of a city neighborhood that people have abandoned. Will we still welcome him? Some of the incredible people I get to meet day to day on my job have lost everything for their faith, for their beliefs, or simply because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin. They've been persecuted. They've seen their loved ones killed in front of their eyes. And still, they've survived. Not only survive, but they thrive. I get to steward these stories every day. People tell me the most horrific stories. One example is of a single mom who was resettled by World Relief. She's from Bhutan, which is a majority Buddhist country, but ethnically she's Nepali and Hindu. Many Hindus were persecuted because of their ethnicity and driven from their home. She ended up in a refugee camp in Nepal. Her son became very ill, her only son. She was a single mom. She sought help from a small church that ironically had formed inside the refugee camp. This tiny church rallied. They surrounded her with prayer. And soon her son got a little better. She started attending that church. And soon she found Jesus. As a result, her family banished her and had nothing to do with her. Others would throw stones at her and other believers as they walked to church. Following Jesus took a deep level of faith and commitment. And as time went on, she was able to be resettled in Seattle. We met her at the airport, as you saw in the, in the video. 
Her family saw how peace-filled her life became, and slowly each of her siblings and her mom, her dad, all followed Christ. Her son, unfortunately, died after coming to Seattle, her only son. But she continues to serve Jesus in a small Bhutanese fellowship there. You see, sometimes Jesus, he lives in a refugee camp and is longing for a home. Are you ready to welcome him to your home this Christmas? Jesus has given us a new definition of life in him. Political party doesn't define it. It's not a result of being right on the issues, but rather it is doing the joyous work of ministering to Jesus in all the ways he shows up in our world. At World Relief, we have the privilege of welcoming refugees. I can't wait to get into the office every day. I, I don't know how many of you have jobs like that. I've had many, many jobs, and not all of them. You know, there are days, Mondays, it was hard to get to work. But here, I can't wait to get, get into the office. Our lobby looks like the United Nations, people from every nation sitting there, and especially the children. I love children. That's why we have four of them. Um, I kept... I love the baby stage, and they kept outgrowing that way too fast, so I had to have another one, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tim put up with it all, but um, children are 40%, 40% of the people that we serve. So I have little toys, little snacks in my office that entice them into my office so I could play with them for a little bit. People from all over the world who have experienced such pain, torture, had their lives put at risk, we have the privilege of welcoming them into safety, setting up their homes, helping them learn English, find their first job. And the children have services of their own. We have summer camp, we have um, family literacy class, and internships. Our legal clinic helps people with their green cards, all their work permits, all their documents, finally getting their US citizenship. And then finally, we have economic empowerment services that help, especially women, a chance to learn, gives them a chance to earn supplemental income. We have a farm where we have 50 families from 22 countries that farm with us. And they have their little flags and their garden plots. And it's amazing to see them, many of them who've had conflicts back home farming right next to each other and, and sharing food. Um, but the thing that I get really excited about is we have um, the largest immigration detention center in our backyard. It's a 1,500 bed facility. It's like a prison because you can't get out. Um, and the only difference is from a prison is you haven't committed a crime. It's an immigration issue that they keep you in detention for. And it's created to be a 90-day facility, but we've met people that have been in there five to seven years. And so um, we found out 15 years ago that people were being denied their civil liberty to congregate and practice their faith. Many people are people of faith in there. And there's no mental health services, nothing. So we, we advocated, and we went inside. We were allowed to go inside. And every weekend, like right now, there are eight Christian services that we facilitate inside that facility. 
And over the last 15 years, 27,000 people have found faith in Jesus inside that facility. It's pretty amazing. And um, I'll just give you a quick story. A few months ago, I received a letter from a Chinese man. He came to Seattle inside one of those big shipping containers like you see on the, the boats. Um, but there, it, when they opened that shipping container, there were all of these Chinese immigrants trying to find safety in the United States. So they were put into detention. Well, World Relief uh, found a volunteer who, found, uh, who spoke Chinese, and they went and spoke to all of them. And this young man wanted to know more about this Jesus. And as um, Sherry and Jonathan, our, our volunteers, told him about Jesus, he accepted Christ as his personal savior. Well, he was deported. He was sent back to China. There he found an underground church where he worshiped and grew in his faith. He also met a beautiful Christian girl <laughs> at that church, and soon they were married. Shortly after, the young man receives a letter from his uncle who lives in Ecuador, South America, and he runs a shrimp farm there. This is crazy stuff. So he goes there to work with his uncle, and he contacts Sherry and Jonathan, our volunteers, and says, you know, Sherry, Jonathan, there's no Chinese Christian church here in Ecuador. So they fly down and they start or plant a church. It is now the largest Chinese church in all of Ecuador. People are coming to Christ in Ecuador because of this man that got deported from Seattle back to China to Ecuador. And a few months ago, I got this letter, and there was a check in there for $1,000. And he said, this is for the ministry at the detention center. I found Jesus there. Please help more find him. So you see our Savior Jesus. He is inside that detention center waiting for us to visit him. Will you welcome him this Christmas? Who are those in your life? that Jesus is calling you to welcome. It may be that relative who you can't get along with. It may be a neighbor who you never spoke to. Following Jesus is not always easy. It is not convenient. It is not comfortable often. It will take us out of the temple of our familiar, as Brennan Manning says. It will take every ounce of love and strength and grace that God has given us. But I can tell you this from experience. Following Jesus is never boring, and it is never lonely, and is definitely the most joyful journey you can ever take. City Church, Jesus is coming. Christmas is almost here. Will you welcome him into your life this morning? Amen. Can we pray? And I think um, the worship team, come on up. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for sending us Jesus, for giving us a living example in human flesh of what it means to follow you. I thank you that he came as a refugee. I thank you that he came as one of the least of these. And Father, that he showed us through his example what it is to walk with the marginalized. Give us this Christmas eyes to see those who need you right around us.
Help us to open our doors, open our heart to those that need Jesus in their lives. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the invitation to come and share about you. We give the rest of this day into your capable hands. In Jesus' name, amen.